Good morning. Good morning, good morning. You may be seated. Welcome all of you that are watching us online. Again, my name is Tom. And uh, that sounds very official, Pastor Josh. Founder of Life Groups. Amen. So this is a great day. You know, one, one thing I like about Life Groups is it, it also commences the, the spring season. How many know spring is here? Well, I see all that snow. No, 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 no. Spring is here. The sun's getting warmer on your face. The snow is melting quicker. Temps are slowly rising. Next week, we move the clocks ahead, get some more daylight. Amen. So yeah, I'm excited about that, aren't you? So praise God. We're glad that you're here today. And today, I'm going to be talking about healthy circles. Tap a shoulder and say healthy circles. As Pastor Josh said, it's all about circles, not about rows. Today, we're seated in rows, but we offer you the opportunity to engage in the circle, get on a life groups team. Yesterday, we had our dream team conference, dreams coming together. Man, it was just so awesome to connect like that in circles. So this is really a great opportunity for you to step into a circle of Christian fellowship and discover uh, people just like yourself have a passion for Jesus, but you have the opportunity to strike a chord with someone else and actually have a lifelong friendship. And so that opportunity is here today. So, Father, we do thank you for the privilege we have to come before you and worship. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We believe we are recipients of the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what you have for us today. So bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm going to open up with uh, 1 John chapter 1. The Apostle John is writing here. And uh, in this letter, it's an open letter. It's an open letter of an invitation to come into a circle of Christian fellowship. If you know who the Apostle John was, he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. Jesus had a, a circle of 12, but he also had a circle of three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were close and intimate with Jesus. Over the past, over three and a half years, they walked with Jesus, followed Jesus, sat at his feet and listened to him, what he had to say. And they had times of fellowship, koinonia, closeness together with Jesus. They had a, they had a circle of fellowship. And in this letter, this letter, actually, John is preaching with his pen. During that time when John was alive, he was preaching. And in fact, you take a little study in the book of Acts that John was called the apostle to the Jews. Peter, James, and John, they had a ministry directed to the Jews. And there were many Jews scattered throughout the whole Roman Empire at that time. And here is the context of that. John is writing and extending an invitation to his Jewish brothers. It reads here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Who did John see with his eyes? Jesus. Which we have looked upon, and our hands have touched concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus. Verse 2, The life was revealed, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and announce to you, the eternal life. Who was John making an announcement to? His Jewish brothers throughout the Roman Empire. Amen. Uh, and announced to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. And we declare to you that which we have seen and heard, that you might also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. How does one come into the circle of Christian fellowship? You first have to come to the light. You have to come to Jesus. 
You have to acknowledge that he is the only one that can cleanse you from your sin and bring you into this circle of Christian fellowship. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you remember that day in your life when you had that encounter with Jesus? And he reached out and touched you with his presence, and you experienced the cleansing flood of the blood of Jesus. Thank God today, when I look across the auditorium today and look at, at those beautiful faces, I see people who have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. That precious, sinless blood that was shed at Calvary represents the very life of Jesus himself. His clean, perfect life covered your imperfect and dirty life and my imperfect and dirty life. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. I can come boldly to the throne room of grace. I can pray to my heavenly Father. I have a ring, a voice that cries out in my heart, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, I can run to my Father. I can sit in His lap. I can enjoy His presence all because there was a moment in my day a moment in time when I had an encounter with Jesus. He touched me with his spirit and his life cleansed me. Hallelujah. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the life, the light that leads to life. Hallelujah. Have you ever stumped your toe in the middle of the night going to the bathroom? I've done that plenty of times. Man, that hurts. And you know, you can walk through life in darkness and stump your toe many times and have many hurts and many problems. Or you can walk in the light of life. You can walk with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can walk with His Spirit teaching you what the Word says. You can walk by the Bible. The psalmist declares that His his word is like a lamp to our feet. We have light in the midst of our culture, which is very, very dark and getting darker. But the world might be getting darker, but guess what? You've entered into a circle of fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters here at International Family Church, and guess what's in the midst of us? The light of life, Jesus magnified. We have light for all of our decisions. We know where we're going. We don't have to stump our toe in the middle of the night. Or in the middle of darkness, we have the light of life. John records that in his Gospels. He says in John 1, verse 4 and 5, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was, met, was the light of mankind. And the light shines in darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. Oh, that's good news to know that the world around you, the culture around you, can't overcome what's on the inside of your life. Hallelujah. The light is greater than the darkness. There came a time in our life where we prayed what's called the sinner's prayer. Maybe you remember that time when you prayed a very personal prayer to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, to recognize that only His blood can cleanse you, to realize that you are a sinner, that you are broken, that you have a sin nature, and that you need someone to touch your life and fix you. Listen, your wife can't fix you. Your husband can't fix you. Your parents can't fix you. Only Jesus can fix you. Only his touch can make a change in your life. And that was, that was a very key and pivotal moment in your life when you did what 1 John 1.9 says. 
What does 1 John 1, 9 say? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. Say cleanse us. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with guilt and shame and unworthiness. There was a time when I did. But when I recognized the love of Jesus Christ and his blood that cleanses me, it gave me a fresh outlook on life. It gave me a fresh outlook on who I was. A new identity, a new nature, new feelings. Hallelujah. All because of his touch. Praise God. You know, every practicing Jew understood what took place on the Day of Atonement back in Leviticus. The priests would lay their hands upon the scapegoat and confess the sins, the transgressions, the iniquities of the nation of Israel, and then they would drive that scapegoat out into the wilderness. Well, you know what? You and I deserve the judgment of God. You and I deserve the condemnation of God, but someone stepped in. Jesus, the scapegoat, and all the sins of our life was placed upon him, and then he was driven out into the wilderness. For three days he went into the belly of hell. He suffered. He died. He was separated from his heavenly father. He descended into hell by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he proclaimed freedom to the captives. And thank God on the third day he rose from the dead and he led captivity captive. And from heaven's greatest place of authority, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh of which you and I are recipients of. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for a fresh outpouring. Thank God you don't have to walk through the world dusty, dry, broken, but you can have a spring of, of water welling up in your soul. Jesus said, out of the depths of your belly, the most innermost part of you would flow rivers of living water. That all came as a result of you praying the sinner's prayer and experiencing a new birth. Hallelujah. I want to share my story. That was my story some 40 years ago as a young man, you know, going through my teenage years. You know, I had a lot of baggage. I'll tell your neighbor, the preacher had a lot of baggage. What are we talking about here? Yeah, I'm a person just like you. And we all had baggage. Amen. And unfortunately, and I'm not proud of it as a teenage, uh, you know, in my teen years, I was in the wrong circles, very rebellious, going down the path of drug abuse and alcohol and selling drugs and, and, and getting involved sexually with girls and being promiscuous. And that was my life as a teenage boy. And I'm not proud of it because it brought a lot of confusion and brokenness and hurt and harm in my own personal life. So I, I realized the people that were closest to me, they were dying, they, they were going to jail, there were all kinds of crazy things going on in their life. I says, I, 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 I need to make a change. I just had good sense enough to make a change. I was raised up in a Catholic home with a Catholic family, CCD, Holy Name Society, all that stuff. So I knew there was something put in me that I knew that what I was doing wasn't right, I need to make some changes. I began to seek. I didn't know what I was seeking. So I showed up at a Transcendental Meditation Center in Wellesley, Massachusetts. They said, yeah, you got to stop. You no, know, you can't smoke pot. You can't do anything. You got to get, get clean from all that stuff. But we have something for you. So I went there, and, and uh, they told me to get a napkin and some fruit and, and show up for my appointment. And so I showed up for my appointment, and they took me to an upper room where there was a nice couch, and there was a wall, and there was an altar on the wall. 
And this man entered into the room and he took my, my fruit and my handkerchief and did something up on the altar and, and did some, whatever he did was chant. I didn't understand what he's saying. Then he came back to me and he whispered in my ear and he gave me a mantra to chant. So I began chanting mantras and that opened up the door of the occult in my life. And for a sense, there, for a season, there was some peace, but it was a false peace. But as time went on, I kept seeking this is not it. And then one day, I'll never forget, I was studying for exams in the Medfield Public Library. And then walked this, this uh, young man, and I knew who he was because I dated his younger sister. And I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. You know, I was long hair, sideburns. He was clean cut and all that. You know, uh, uh, he was what we would call a jock. I was what, what you would call one of those uh, heads. But something happened to him. He went from all that cleaned up look. Now he's got long hair, ripped up, tattered sweater. He looked like he hadn't taken a shower in days. And he had this big book in his hand. I thought, is that Mike? I said, what in the world happened to him? We locked eyes and he came over. We sat down and he started having a conversation with me. And he's talked to me about Jesus in a way that I never heard. I mean, it was kind of like the fiery burning bush. At first, it's a curiosity. You're looking at what in the world is this all about? But when he sat down and he talked to me about Jesus, it pricked my heart. There's something here. And so he extended an invitation to me to go down, to the, down the street to his sister's house. His sister lived right down the street in a second floor upper room apartment. So they took me to the upper room. Lobo, they had chairs in the room because they were having prayer meetings here. And they had a wall with a picture of Jesus on it. It was one of those Catholic pictures of the sacred heart of Jesus, right? You ever seen one of those? If you're raised Catholic, you know, they had the sacred heart. And, and so the, this, this was familiar to me because a couple years ago, I went to another upper room, but it was a different altar. Now I come up to this upper room and there's another different altar. There's this picture of Jesus with the sacred heart of Jesus. They sat me down and they led me in the sinner's prayer. And when I said that prayer, heaven opened up to my life. I felt so loved, so cleansed from all the filth that I was involved in. Mm. I was so set free and for the very first time in my life, I could sense and hear the voice of God. And I heard Jesus say, I am Jesus. When I heard those words, Ken, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was, I heard God speak to me. I am Jesus. And when that word Jesus, it was like the glory of God just flowed through my soul. I felt so loved, so accepted, so clean. I sat in that chair for two hours and I wept. I never experienced anything like that. I had an encounter with Jesus. You've had an encounter with Jesus. You tasted the powers of the world to come. You tasted the Holy Spirit. You tasted the peace of God that passes all our understanding. You tasted acceptance, love. He put in you, He put in I a new identity with a new nature and a new desire. And you know what else happened to me in that moment? All of a sudden, I stepped into a whole new circle of fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters. 
Right at that time. In the next two years, I had circles of fellowship with brothers and believers in Christ. Amen. It's a very important part of my life. April 28, 1980, was born again, accepted the Lord, and now I'm being part of charismatic prayer groups. During that time in the early 80s, you know, the charismatic movement was in full swing in the Catholic Church. And, and uh, of course, they had basement charismatic prayer groups with these wild and crazy tongue-talking Catholics. And so, you know... I'm a young guy. I'm on fire for Jesus. I have a passion for God. And that fire will do something to you. You want to be around other believers who believe like you and feel like you about Jesus. That's just a natural progression. And so I began to go to, you know, we had prayer groups in Medfield and Milford and Medway and Norwood. Every day of the week, I was out going to the prayer groups, meeting new Christians, new circles. Amen. And, you know, when I started getting tired of all this Mary stuff, I started looking for another circle. And so I found a Pentecostal church. I meant going to this Pentecostal church in Norwood. And my first experience was the pastor's daughter got up and started shouting out in other tongues. And then she fell to the floor. And I'm like, what was that? That was my first experience. Though it was strange, I saw there were other young people like myself and I wanted to connect with them. And so I found some new friends, and we would have Bible study after church on Sunday. We'd get together, get Chinese food, pray and fall asleep, and then get up and listen to some Chuck Smith tapes. That was really important to me at that time in my life. Are you listening? I was in circles. I was in circles where I had brothers and sisters of like precious faith that would encourage me in my early years to go after God. Amen. Being a part of a circle for me during those first two years of my Christian walk was a, a very foundational part of my spiritual formation. It fed my hunger and passion to go after Jesus. And listen, every believer needs, especially new believers, they need that circle of Christian fellowship that will feed their hunger and passion for Jesus. Listen, the devil has a tactic. His tactic is isolation. Listen, loners get picked off. This is what happens to, you know, the, this is the tactic of the enemy. He will try to get you offended at someone over a conversation or something that was said or, or, or an interaction that happened in your life. And, you know, what happens with most Christians in church, you know, they don't get offended necessarily most of the time over doctrine. Maybe that's 10% of the time they get offended and they leave church and, and they never become a part of a fellowship again. But they get offended when someone in the church. Yeah, come on. Amen. When someone in the church says something or does something to offend them. Listen, that's an opportunity either to de develop a friendship and to extend forgiveness and to see what God has for you in that fellowship. Or you can get offended, walk away. And what happens when you walk away? You're all by yourself. And guess who's there with you tapping you on the shoulder? Mr. Devil, he's there. And he's making all, you know, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. You know, he stands before the throne of God and he accuses you to God's face. 
He's an accuser. And the minute you pick up an offense, you start listening to the accuser and he starts taking these little problems and turning them to big mountains in your life. Being alone is, a, is the devil's tactic. Amen? God has a circle for us of Christian fellowship, but Christian fellowship does work. It does work. Tap your neighbor and say, tell them, it does work. Yeah, there's been a lot of problem in local churches. There's been a lot of scandals. There's been a lot of fallout. There's been all kinds of things, but Christian fellowship done God's way. It works. And here's how we do it. Philippians chapter 2, very key portion of Scripture today. Paul said, writing to the Philippians, he said, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I would say yes. Is there any comfort from His love? I would say yes. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Absolutely. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I hope so. Verse 2, Paul says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together. Come on, somebody. we got to work this thing out. I mean, relationship stuff, we got to work this stuff out. Come on, somebody. Agreeing wholeheartedly together with each other, loving one another, working together with what? One mind and purpose. One mind and purpose. Man, if you've got a fire in your belly for Jesus, then you qualify to be in part of a body that has one mind and one purpose. What, what purpose do we have? That Jesus would be magnified in our midst, that everything that he wants done here in the local church would come to pass. Amen. So how do we do that? Here's where the rubber meets the road. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Tap your neighbor and say, don't be selfish. And you respond, I'm not selfish. You're talking about me? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Now, humble doesn't mean you think less of yourself. You should have self-respect and self-esteem. Why? Because you're a child of God in His image. You're a son and daughter of the King. You're deserving of all His benefits and privileges. Amen. So you have a healthy self-esteem about yourself, and you set boundaries in your life, and you know who you are. You know where you're going. You know what God's expectations of your life, and you're not going to settle for anything, anything less. Amen. That's humility. That's being humble. But humble also means thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests. That's good. That's fine. But look out for the interests of others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Jesus preferred you better than himself. He certainly did. When he laid his life down for you and I at Golgotha, when he stretched out his hands and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he, breath, when he gave his last breath and he said, it is finished. He preferred you above himself and above his relationship with the Father. I can't begin to conceive what that means. But that's the attitude that he has. That's the attitude we need to embrace. And when we embrace that attitude, guess what? The circle of Christian fellowship works. The local church works. Teams works. Life group works. Because we're all working on our attitude. 
Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Say, I'm working on my attitude. Your attitude is going to determine how far you go in God. It's going to determine how high you go in promotion. It's going to determine how deep you go in your relationship with God. Attitude, what goes on between these two ears. Oh, there's a lot there to work out. And I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. And it speaks of association. Listen to this. Association, community, communion, joint participation. And then it, it refers to intercourse between husband and wife. When I look at those words, I see different levels of intimacy, different levels of fellowship. You know, you can go as deep as you want in your relationship with God. Or you can just stay out on the courtyard and just have a surface relationship with the Lord. Or you, you, can, be, you can go deep in your relationship with others and, and enjoy an intimate, life-giving relationship with others. Or you can stay out in the foyer or the lobby and just be surface-oriented, you know, surface talk about the weather. We all know that story, right? Oh, yeah, let's talk about the weather, right? Are you with me? You can go deeper, but here's the risk that you run when you go deeper in relationships. You open up the door for misunderstandings. Things happen. Stuff happens. Things are said. People are, did you know that people are not always at their best? Wow, that's a revelation. You know, on Sunday morning, let me just give you a clue. On Sunday morning, I'm at my best. I'm prayed up. I'm rested up. I made sure I ate right. I'm, I'm, I'm at my best on Sunday morning. But you know, not every day I'm, at my, I'm, at, I'm not at my best. Cheryl will tell you that. You can ask her up in the cafe. No, he's not always at his best. None of us are always at our best. And when we do life together, guess what? We see the beauty. We see the ugly. We see it all mixed together. That's how beautiful you are. Amen. That's how handsome you are. With all the imperfections, God's still at work. He's perfecting that which concerns my life. You know, I might have my days, but I have my good days. God's working in me. I'm making progress. I'm growing. Life is getting better. I'm enjoying more friendships. Amen. But we got to work this thing, people. We got to work it. You know, think about human relationships in general. Take a step back here. It is God's plan that every person born on the planet is born into a circle called family. You look back in Genesis, the book of beginnings, and how God designed culture, family, marriage. When he created Adam, Genesis 2.18 tells us, when he saw Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he say? I'll make him a helper, a helpmate, one who is just right for him. Here we see the first institution that God created, the circle of marriage. Amen. But unfortunately, no, we know the story. If we read on in Genesis chapters 1 through 6, sin corrupted marriage. Adam and Eve were meant to be an equal partner. But sin came in, and so did manipulation and control and domination in the marriage relationship. Mm -mm. 
Not only that, sin corrupted the family. Cain and Abel were to walk as brothers, to discover life together, to achieve life together. But Cain turned on Abel and murdered his brother because of strife and envy. Sin comes into families and creates strife and envy. But not only that, it continues. Sin, I mean, when sin gets on a roll, it corrupts everything in its path. Sin corrupted the culture of the day. The Bible tells us that if the thoughts of men were continually evil and violence filled the earth, culture became corrupted by sin. And God had to step in and he intervened, intervened by judging the world with a flood. But he didn't stop there. God hit the button. He says, I'm going to do a fresh start. I'm going to find me a man that I can trust. And we look in the book of Genesis, and who did God find? He found a man by the name of Noah. Noah had a covenant with God. God put his bow in the cloud. It was a cloud. Uh, you know, that bow was a, was a rainbow of grace. Noah discovered the rainbow of grace. Then there was another man. His name was Abraham. God entered into a covenant with him. And Abraham walked in the grace of God. But I want you to know what's interesting about both these men. When God saw Noah, when God saw Abraham, he didn't see an individual. He saw a circle. He saw a family. Listen to what Hebrews 11, 7 says. By faith... Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with holy fear. And what did he do? He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. God saw not just faith in Noah's heart, but he saw that Noah was a family man. Noah was committed to family. The same thing can be said of Abraham in Genesis 18. We read in verse 17, God is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I shall do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Listen to what he says in verse 19. God says, for I know Abraham that he will command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. When God saw Noah and when God saw Abraham, he saw a circle. He saw the circle of marriage which he created. He saw the circle of family which he created. Amen. That was God's design. And God uses circles to accomplish his plan of redemption. Amen. And you and I are a part of that plan. Hallelujah. When you prayed the sinner's prayer and you accepted the Lord as your Savior, God, I mean, we all have a story of God, how he orchestrated our life and how he brought us to a house. 
called International Family Church. It's no accident that God orchestrated. Now, you might think, well, it's not really an orchestration. It's just happenstance. Someone invited me. No, it's an orchestration of God. He saw the fire in your heart. He saw the hunger in your heart. He saw the thirst that you had. He saw the desire of your had to, that you had to know Jesus more intimately. And he says, I've got a place for them. I've got a circle for them. It's a place called International Family Church. And he brought you here and you began to discover relationships. You began to discover relationships. You know, it's not enough just to come and sit in a, in a, in a nice comfy chair and hear preaching. That's good. That's good. Tap your neighbor and say, that's good. I mean, there's a lot we get out of Sunday. We, got, we, we, we always have a good feeding on Sunday. Come on, somebody. We got a good, we go away blessed and encouraged by the worship and the feeding of God's word. Man, it's good. It's good. But God says it's not enough. I want you in a circle. I want you to build a relationship with someone else, one of my other sons, one of my other daughters. I want you to have a relationship with them. I want you to converse. I want you to interact. I want there to be Holy Ghost chemistry. I want there to be Holy Ghost conversations that will propel you forth into your destiny. Oh, yeah, that's what God has for you. And so that's what we design. That's why we design life groups. That's why we design teamwork, uh, dream teams here at International Family Church. So vitally important. That's how you become rich. A person who ends their life with no relationships, no family, no marriage, lots of regret, they're not rich people. But a person who has circles of Christ-centered fellowship, connections, relationships, they are rich. I'm looking at a bunch of rich folks here today. Say, I'm rich. I'm rich. You're rich because of your brother and sister in Christ. You're rich because you're here in this place where God is pouring out His Spirit. Amen. God wants you to take a step and get involved in a circle. Let me talk about why marriage works. Marriage is a circle, and marriage works. Yet in our culture, marriage is being stripped of its integrity, of its nobility. It's being viewed as antiquated, old-fashioned, doesn't work. It's being maligned. It's being viewed as a, a system of control. There's all kinds of... Our nation is being rewired with a bunch of lies. It's being seduced. But marriage works. Tell your spouse, honey, it works. So get to work. Marriage works. How does marriage work? Marriage work when, when, works when we meet God's expectations. And God set some very simple expectations, husbands. He wants you to act like Christ to your wife. He wants you to give your life sacrificially to her, to meet her needs. And he intended you to go first. When I say that, wives like that. Where's the amen from the wives? Same thing is true for you, ladies. When God created you, you were meant to be a helpmate. That word helpmate is the same word that Jesus used regarding the Holy Spirit. You are like the Holy Spirit to your husband. You contain a wealth of wisdom, of counsel. You have a, a perspective that he doesn't have. You have the ability to comfort him, encourage him, and to pray for him. If you'll act like the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit says, I told you so. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. You know how the Holy Spirit is. He reminds us, he reminds us, and we finally get it. He doesn't say, you know, I've been telling you that for three years now. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. Come on, wives. All the men should say amen to that. But when we fulfill our expectations that God sets with the attitude of Christ, I'm going to serve my spouse. Then marriage works. Marriage is life-giving. Marriage is fun. There's joy in your relationship. There's life in your relationship. Amen. Listen, family works. Family works. Despite the breakdown of the American family, God has a template for that as well. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. God gave this command to the nation of Israel. And he's addressing the men, but he's also addressing parents. So here's the charge God gives to parents. He says, you must. Say, you must. Say, I must. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's talking about passion. And you must say, I must. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. What commands? The word of God that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Yes. To be an effective parent, to have a family that works, mom and dad, you've got to have a fire in your belly. You've got to have a passion for Jesus. You've got to have a love for Jesus. He needs to come first. And when there's that fire and passion in your heart, your children will follow you. Your children will adopt the values that you hold as important and dear to yourself. Amen. We've got to repeat them again and again. Children need to see role models. They need to see examples. It's not do as I say, not as I do. No, it's follow me as I follow Christ. Parents aren't perfect. But if you're in a pursuit of following Jesus and growing, your children are going to follow you. If you have a passion for Jesus, there will be an environment, a divine presence in your home called peace that passes all understanding. Our Christian home should be filled with peace and joy. It should be a place where our children can't wait to come home. Amen. The dinner table should be conversations filled with affirmation and encouragement and fun and joy. Amen. Family works. I don't care what the world around us is saying. Family works if we apply God's pre-designed roles and expectations. Amen. Parenting is all about modeling, all about being an example. In fact, really, parenting is all about discipleship. That's what parenting is. We've been given a wonderful opportunity. Our children are gifts to us. And we have to live our lives out before them. That means they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. They see mom and dad having arguments, conversations, and then saying, I am sorry. Listen, I grew up in a Catholic home with seven kids. I was the oldest of seven. There was plenty of opportunity for strife and envy in the home. You know, and when that happened, guess what mom and dad did? We had corners in the living room. You sit in that corner until you say, I'm sorry. Okay. We sit in the corner. Up to hours, we'd sit in that corner. I am not saying sorry. Listen, you know, we are stubborn. 
You know, there are people in life, one, two, three, four years, decades. I am not saying I'm sorry. You know what that does? It robs you of the opportunity to enjoy the circles that God designed for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your local church. You know, we've all had issues in our life of brokenness. We've all had offenses. We've all had things in our life that caused mistrust. And maybe you're here today and your circle was broken. Maybe in your marriage or in a previous marriage or in your family or with someone in your family. I want, to know, I want you to know today that Jesus specializes in healing broken circles. Jesus said at the start of his, of his ministry, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel and to heal the broken hearted. Broken hearts, broken circles. Broken hearts, broken families. Broken hearts, broken marriages. Broken hearts, broken churches. There's all kinds of circles that have been broken, abused, hurt. They leave something in your soul, an agitation in your soul. It doesn't leave you. You get quiet, you go home at night, or you put your head on the pillow. Those thoughts come back to haunt you. They torment you. Maybe tears start coming to your eyes. Emotions start to foment in your soul about the past, what they did, what they said, how that hurt, how that changed my life. Your heart's broken. You need the touch of Jesus. How do I get the touch of Jesus? It's the same way when we made the sinner's prayer when we first met Jesus. We have to grant forgiveness. You have to grant forgiveness to the perpetrator of that offense in your life. Listen, they're long gone. That offense is still lodged in your soul. Guess what you need to do? Lord, I forgive. Or we can stay in the corner like this. I'm not going to forgive. Well, you're going to stay in that corner for the rest of your life. And you're going to let life roll by you. You're going to let some of the best relationships that you've never had roll by you. Don't do that. If you've been hurt, come out of a broken circle. That doesn't make you any less of a person. You are still valuable to God. You are created in His image. The Bible says you're the apple of His eye. You're the jewel in His crown. He has millions of thoughts just about you. You can't comprehend how much love He has for you. He has set His affection upon you. And it grieves His heart for you to nurse old offenses, I don't, it doesn't matter who, you know, who's right and who's wrong. The problem now is you got to get them out of your heart so that you can have healthy, life-giving, Christ-centered relationships. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray a prayer of forgiveness for someone who may have offended you. And this is just between you and God. I will never forget in those first two years of my Christian walk, being in those circles, it was in the context of those circles. The Spirit of God dealt with me. You need to forgive your dad. Cheryl will tell you, when we first started dating, the tension in my household was as thick as it could be. God was working in my life. God was healing my relationships. But he required me to take a step said, you must forgive. 
I'm going to ask that you would stand to your feet. We're going to pray this simple prayer. We'll all pray it together. But I know there's people here watching online that this is really important to you right now, that you need to get the offender and the offense out of your heart. You need to pull that thorn out. And it can be done by praying a prayer of faith to release the offender. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive that your heavenly Father may forgive you. Would you close your eyes right now with me? Those of you watching online, pray this this simple prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I choose to forgive. I take the higher road, the road of love. I choose the attitude of Christ. And Lord, right now, I forgive my offender. I release that offense that is holding me back. I choose to forgive and I bless that person. Bless them, Lord. Bless their life. I choose today to walk free from the past, from the voices, and from the offenses that have held me back. I am free in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That simple prayer puts you on a process where now grace is working in your life. So that when those thoughts come up again, those emotions come up again, guess what else comes up? The grace of God to say, no, no, that's in my past. It no longer affects me. Yeah, the emotions are there. Yeah, the thoughts are there. Yeah, they come back every now and then. But now I have grace to walk free. Hallelujah. I want to pray one more prayer with you today. If there's someone here, you're new to IFC. This is your first Sunday with us. This is the first Sunday you're with us online. I want to invite you to pray the same prayer I prayed years ago. We call it the sinner's prayer. To acknowledge that you have a need for a Savior. His name is Jesus. And if you'll acknowledge that only He can wash you clean of your sin. And pray a simple prayer from your heart out of the sincerity of your heart, He will come and take up residence in your heart. He'll give you new desires, a new nature, a new destiny. If you're here today and you've never prayed the sinner's prayer, the prayer to accept Jesus Christ into your life, I want to pray that prayer with you. You say, Pastor Tom, I'd like to pray that prayer. Would you raise your hand so I can see who you are? Anyone here throughout the congregation that's never prayed that prayer and you'd like to pray that prayer here today, I see those hands. Thank you. Just put your hand up and then just raise, put it back down. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand nice and high so I could see it. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. This is just between you and God. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? God knows who you have. He knows your story. He knows everything about you. Just be open with him. Let him touch your life. All right, let's pray this prayer in God. Just mean it from the depths of your heart. It's a simple prayer. God in heaven, I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. Be my Lord and Savior. I open my heart to you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for making me new. And thank you for opening up a door with brothers and sisters 
of similar faith. Jesus, I love you. Amen and amen. God bless you.